The following audio content is a talk from Convergence, a service for young adults at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website at upc.org forward slash young adults. Tonight we're going to have some fun. Because tonight we're going to have a chance to dialogue around questions that, that, that inhabit the, sort of the cracks. Any kind of series in which we go through and we, we do some teaching, there's always questions that pop up that we don't necessarily have time to answer. Okay, that's great, but what does it mean to actually kind of do this? We can't accomplish everything, but we can have a time for us to dialogue about it. And really when it comes down to it, if we're going to live, kind of push into understanding what the heck is it that God has for us, that always has to happen in community and in dialogue in community. We don't have all the answers ourselves. The good news is we're not supposed to have all the answers ourselves, but we're supposed to do this together and have people speak into our lives. We're going to do that kind of in a way tonight. I've invited a couple people that I love and respect dearly. You've already seen them if you've been with us over the last few months. So I want to invite them to come up. We're going to do a Q&A and a chance for us to... You guys have already given us some great questions. But we're going to have a chance to kind of dip into those questions and for you to get some different perspectives. First is Julie Metzger. You may remember her coming and sharing with our senior pastor a number of months ago. Just to remind you, Julie is an elder here, but she also is an educator and a nurse and has tons and tons to offer. I love any time I get a chance to dialogue with Julie. Selfishly, I mean, this is one of the things. Selfishly, I get to talk to these people on my own, but I want you guys to be able to experience what I experience when I get together with them. Um, our other um, uh, the participant this tonight is uh, Thomas, and, and you probably remember Thomas has actually been on senior management uh, with WAMU and now Chase, and so uh, he definitely has experience kind of in a corporate environment, so I wanted us to be able to kind of to dip into some questions together uh, this evening, uh, because here's the thing, I, I'm kind of feeling the pastoral role, and I, I have something to bring, but there is something that these guys bring that, that is going to fill out the picture that, that I just am not, just because of my own experience. And that's what happens with community. So here's the thing. I have a couple questions. You guys, again, you gave me some great questions to go with. We're going to ask, ask a couple questions, and then I'll open it up. Okay? And if you have a question that, that, that is kind of burning, if your heart starts pumping a little bit, if you get a little bit nervous, you probably should ask it. Because uh, here's the thing, you probably think that you're the only one. Most likely, uh, there's a lot of people that are that are wondering the very same thing. And so uh, we'll open it up. And so I, I encourage you to be brave. Uh, we are community here together. Uh, and what we need to do is open up and have the courage to ask questions. Um, and then we'll, we'll take those. And otherwise, I have some other I have some more questions we can push into as well. Lastly, I just would say this: there might be a particular question. Uh, that you pick up on, that you go, you know, that, that, I'm really curious about that. I would encourage you to, to continue the dialogue tonight, whether you go out afterwards or you just hang out here afterwards. You know, go, go up to someone that you know, you, you know and ask that question. What do you think about this? I mean, we, we heard from the people, some of the people up front, but what do you think? Uh, so let this not stop tonight, but I encourage you to continue this uh, on your own. So um, let me just pray for us and then, and then we'll dive right in. Lord God, I thank you that um, you have not just simply saved us and forgiven us, though that is significant and, and huge, but then you, you have called us uh, into a great adventure uh, to follow you, not, not simply as servants, but as, as friends, that, that you have placed eternity in our hearts and, and there is something uh, in us that, that causes us to do more than simply survive, but to, 
but to run hard after something, to accomplish something. That you've given us a sense of creativity in which we can pour this, this desire, this ambition. Lord, guide us, I pray in that. But I, I pray that you guide us especially tonight, that as we, we dialogue together, as we, as we talk together, that, that you, you will reveal, Lord, uh, uh, what it is that you have for us. So we ask for the leading of your spirit, Lord. We thank you that your spirit is here amongst us. Uh, ask for your blessing upon our time. In your name, amen. Well, I want to start out with one of the questions, that, and it was a fantastic question, and I'm probably going to actually read a little bit more of the, of the background on this um, as we start off, because it, it's a question of when you have something that you love and you want to run after it, how do you know what to do with that love? And where is there, there's questions of, does this, does this take too much love? To where maybe, maybe you start to wonder, gosh, is God getting, getting pushed out of this? And is it okay for me to love something this much? So let me ask the question, and let me give you a little background, because this is, again, a, a fantastic question. This person in particular is an artist, and so they said this, how do we as artists, or, or whatever gift it is that we have been given, find the balance between delighting and using our gifts and then making it in an idol. How do we know when we've crossed that line? How do we worship a God through our gifts and our abilities instead of worshiping those gifts and those abilities, those creations themselves? Background is this. God has given me the gift of creativity, and I, and I greatly delight in it. It brings me great joy when I accomplish creating something beautiful and useful. But sometimes I'm more excited to create and get started doing something than to read my Bible or pray. And I, and I, I know that this, is, this person is not the only person in the room that feels that. Um, I do pray sometimes and I feel close to God when I'm creating, but I often feel guilty for enjoying it and getting excited about it more than through the traditional ways of spending time with God. I'm guessing, again, uh, reading your Bible, praying. Is this gift... Uh, that God has given me becoming more important than God Himself, and so the question is, how do I how do I know? What do we do with these uh, these gifts and abilities that bring us a great sense of joy? Um, so let me uh, let me just open it up. Let me let me throw it, uh, Julie. As you kind of hear this, what what is it that that strikes you about this? Well, I have a lot of joy in my job. I get a chance to uh, I get paid to think and talk about sex every day. So that offers up a lot of opportunity to um, be in a creative space. And because I'm working with uh, teenagers and preteens and their parents, it also navigates through kind of a, uh, an interesting place. Um, and I love it. I, I love what I do. I feel like I'm called to do it. It is enormously creative. It is very much a cross between being a little bit of an Oprah, part Ellen DeGeneres, and part Dr. Phil, and I dig it. But every sing and I've been doing this work for 21 years, tens of thousands of families and kids, and I, every single time I walk into that place, that performance, um, I have to lay it down. I have to hand it over. And I have to prayerfully go into it, um, or it gets quickly um, more about the spotlight on me and the opportunity to um, worry too much about how it goes for me instead of how it goes for the people that I'm talking to. Um, and if I did not do that, 
it, it would instantly become something very different. I, I battle the idol of feedback um, and applause. And, um, but I also see that if I don't have feedback and applause, I can't do my work well. I don't know what works, and I don't know if I'm effective. So how do you not desire the feedback and applause and laughter at the same time as letting it down so that you cannot um, build your work upon that, uh, that part of it? So that's, it's, it, even though I've done it for 21 years, it is a constant prayer, constant. Thomas, what about you? I, I, I love, I mean, Julie talked about creativity in the sense of, in the sense of teaching, and this person's an artist, but creativity is not only in, in art or teaching, it's in the business realm as well. So I, when you read this, what, what comes to mind for you? Um, you know, well, I certainly, first of all, agree with you on that creativity exists in a lot of different realms, including art. I mean, in business, we usually call it innovation, but it's really the same word uh, in a lot of senses. Um, but two things come to mind for me. And first of all, whoever asked this question, you're on the right path. By asking the question and seeking truth as to is my work that I love, the art that I love, an idol, you're a long ways towards, I think, finding the will of God. Because it's often in the question and the journey to answering the question. Secondly, I think the wheat and the tares grew up together. Um, I think I shared with you guys last time that um, I've got an uh, ambition in me that I refer to as the beast. There's the part of me that loves my job as a manager, that loves my job to lead people, that loves the fact that I get to, to steer an organization and think strategically and run, run big teams and get up in front of people and talk and make the big decisions. And then there's a part of me that likes the prestige of my job, that likes the money I make from my job, that likes the accolades I get from the community, that likes the security that used to be there before WAMU failed. But anyway, um, still, still in the corporate world. There's more security than the art world, and I, I probably can say that. But um, So I think the wheat and the tares grew up together. So just because you have some bad ambition shouldn't negate the fact that God has created you to do what you're doing, and if you're finding joy in it and struggling with being an idol, I think you might be on the right path. The question is making sure that that these two sides balance each other out. Not even balance each other out, but one wins over. But remember, Jesus said in the harvest is when he would cut all that down. He'd throw away one part, and he'd keep throw away the weeds, and he'd keep the good stuff. And my hope is that in my life, when, when I go before the Lord, he'll say, yeah, you did some things for the wrong reasons, but you also did a lot of things that was was fruit, and that's going to stay because it was gold and it was silver and it was bronze. You know, as I as I heard this, one of the things that struck me is the importance of, well, I, first of all, there's a tension, and I, if you've been around, you know that I'm a fan of tension because I think that that's where a lot of times that's where transformation happens. And I think one of the things that's important is to be able to recognize and call out a holistic spirituality. And what I mean by this is is that the only way to connect with God is not simply in prayer and in Bible. That is foundational and it is key. And yet, if we were to, to look back and, and take Genesis seriously, one of the things we'll realize is we are created to be stewards along with God. We are created to create. And, and so whether it is uh, in systems and business or in innovation, or whether it is how we teach, or whether it is in a particular uh, way of art. That is who we are. And so, if we're to talk about seeing God in all of life, it means that it has to, we have to see God and interact with God outside of simply uh, reading our Bibles. And so, it makes absolute sense to have a, that, that in something that you love, that you feel like you've been gifted with, that you would sense God's joy. It's probably been overquoted, but... 
maybe Chariots of Fire would even, it's a cheesy movie, 80s movie, but maybe it would be worthwhile to go back and look at because one of the, the key issues there is there was a guy that was being pushed to do missions work and ultimately that was on his heart, but he was fast and God made him to be fast. And he had the sense of, yes, I want to be a missionary, but God made me fast and I feel his pleasure when I run. That, that, that is a, a holistic part of who we are, that we see him, yes, in worship when we sing. And yes, in scripture, and yes, in prayer, and yes, as we uh, create. Uh, I think, simply just to tag on, I think you're on the right road if you're asking that, that question. Um, and I think I want to move on from that. But I would say, if you, if you ask this question, I, had some, I talked to some artists um, that I wanted to get some feedback around here. Uh, and I will have some resources for you. Um, and if this is something, if you, this even resonates, maybe you didn't ask this, if, you, if this resonates, I'd love to talk with you uh, afterwards. It's a tension. It is both saying God has gifted me in this and God is in it. I would say, partly I would say this is about constant prayer. It's about going in with a sense of joy and gratitude. It's about praying in the midst of it and then giving thanks to God afterwards. And I think that applies to anything. I, I'd like to add on yeah. two things. First of all, I love one verse that I say over and over and over to myself, which is for we, for, from Ephesians. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works that he has prepared for us to do. I love that. I, I feel like we need to step into that promise. And then simultaneously, uh, like just last night before the class that I taught, I... I, just to be able to hold on to this tension, I love that Anne Lamott prayer. It's really a parent prayer, but I think it fits this question, which is, thank you, thank you, thank you, help, help, help. Mm-hmm. Right? It's just a, that's the tension. It's thank you, thank you, thank you for this incredible joy and help, help, help all the time. Yeah. Well, let me, let me, let me switch uh, gears a little bit. You know, we talk a lot about ambition, but one person asked a question that really uh, makes total sense. And this person said, well, what if I feel apathetic or unmotivated? How do I develop uh, ambition? And I think certainly we could talk about ambition. It sounds great to be able to say that we are ambitious. But the reality is that sometimes, and I think probably at at multiple times in our lives, we're going to have to battle a sense of apathy, a sense of being unmotivated. Uh, so how, how would you respond to that question? On How do you develop? What if you feel unmotivated? What if you feel apathetic? And how would you begin to, maybe you can even think back to points in your life when you start feeling, how do you kind of kickstart that again? Uh, I think the beauty of being 50 is that you look back and see that there are seasons and God works even in those places that you may call apathetic, but actually are places of rest and discernment, and that sometimes um, those places can be great frustration or you feel like such a loser because everybody's out saving the world except you. I think that (laughs) you're headed to Africa and you're just trying to make the day happen for yourself. I think that sometimes God, or not, I don't think that. I know God works even in those places. So that's one part. And the second part of that is, Sometimes we're held back by either fear or, or f- fatigue or lack of confidence. And sometimes just stepping into it, even in putting your toe in the water, allows you to catch the, the hunger. Um, so I don't wait for the call. I step into it uh, when I can, when I can pull myself up out of a darker place to do it. One, one time when I was in a dark place, I only wrote down the things that I did, so dark it was. 
I couldn't make the list and check it off and say, look at all the things I've accomplished and saved the world and gone to Africa. I had to only write down, walked around the block, check, read book, check, went to grocery store after I did it. Um, Because it was a dark time, I I think that God uses that. I, I think he does. Well, I guess I'm 36, so um, I, I too think there are, there are rhythms and seasons in our lives, and sometimes apathy is going to, going to be part of that. Um, with that said, there are three things I want to leave you with if you're feeling lack of ambition or apathetic. Number one is, is perspective. And it's, I don't know if you've heard this before, but it's the two brick workers who are hauling bricks from the quarry to the workyard. And one guy says, all I do all day long is haul bricks back and forth, back and forth. What a lame life. I'm not doing anything. The other guy says, all I do all day long is help build this cathedral. And the question is, um, what are you doing? And what's your perspective on that? The second thing is, I think that true joy comes from serving other people. And if you can't get jazzed up about helping other people, then seek God on that and pray about it. And for me, when I'm inward is when I'll struggle more with apathy because it's hollow. Um, And there's not that much there. But when I'm focused on serving other people, it gets my motors running. And I think we're all a little different, but hopefully you can find some type of way that you can use the talents and gifts God's given you in, a, in to serve others, and I think passion will come from that. Number three is one of my favorite quotes ever, is Martin Luther King Jr. Um, said, if you can't fly, run. If you can't fly, walk. If you can't walk, crawl. But by all means, keep on moving. And if apathy is part of your life, you're probably struggling with depression and a couple other things, insecurity, whatever. But just do the smallest thing. And start there, and the momentum will will begin, just like you said, with dipping your toe in the water. That's good. I think. Um, well, first of all, I've mentioned some books that I that I love. Oz Guinness is the call. He's got a, a chapter in there called "Battling the Noonday Demon" that I think it would be great for you to look at if if this is particularly uh, hitting you. I think a lot of it has to do with a sense uh, at its worst moments. I think there are moments in which we really are just going through a difficult time and we need to be patient with ourselves. I think there are other moments where you can realize the apathy really is because in some ways I've turned kind of in on myself and, I, and I'm, in a, I'm in a selfish time. In other words, my, re, my world is revolving around just my particular needs and desires. And I think to pick up on what Julie was saying, I think sometimes there are moments when we simply have to say, I'm not going to wait for motivation to come. If I can recognize that I'm unmotivated and apathetic, don't wait for something to, to kickstart. Just you need to get out and start doing, some, doing something, and you need to start doing something that pushes, uh, that pushes the boundaries. That it's a little bit of a step of faith, even and even if it's a little one. You just need to, to keep moving. Uh, don't just sit there. As long as it's about kind of you, as long as it is about sort of what is consuming you, you're going to go in and in and in, and, and cave in on yourself. That's where, and this is what I love about uh, time and time again, especially around folks who, who went on the mission trip, that part of what was going on, Haiti and New Orleans, n- not everyone could go on those trips, but listen to the motivation. Some of them were just saying, look, I just want, I know that I'm comfortable, and I want a challenge. I want to push myself just a little bit. You don't have to go on a mission trip to do that. But that gut instinct is the one that w- in which you begin to, to kick off motivation, uh, and you begin to catch a vision for something. I was at a particularly dark time in my, in my life where I was uh, feeling very apathetic, very unmotivated, and frustrated with myself even with that. And part of what I just needed to do is, like, I just looked around and I said, you know what, there's a soup kitchen that my particular college ministry uh, was doing. 
I don't really know that that's the thing, but I just need to do something. And from that, I, it, it, things began to snowball a little bit. So, hey, a couple questions to get us going. What, what questions do you have? And, and where's that at? It's in here somewhere. We have a mic. If you want a mic, uh, great. Otherwise, I can just repeat the questions. Uh, if you want a mic, great. If not, great. But what questions do you have? And what questions come up when you think about sense of calling, sense of ambition, sense of uh, all the stuff that we've been talking about? Right here in the back. This is a semi question, semi comment to see if you know you guys have any response to that. Because um, I personally think that I know this is, sounds kind of bad, but I personally think that a lot of Christians lack ambition just because they think that if you know something fails, that God is going to take care of them somehow, and they are not that motivated to do something in return. You guys so, have any response so to that? So what's the question? So define the question a little bit. Well, I don't, I don't know. I guess do you guys agree, disagree, how people could overcome that? Because, I mean, you do want to be taken care of by, you know, by the Lord. You know, you, you, know, you, you constantly have prayers for, you know, for you know, everyday needs. But at the same time, that could be a, a trap mm-hmm. that would not make you feel motivated at times. Is it, are you, it sounds like uh, perhaps what the question is, is maybe we lack motivation, we lack ambition. See if I'm, if I'm tracking with you. We lack motivation, lack ambition, be, partly just because there's a sense of comfort and we don't kind of want to step outside of that comfort. Right. You know what I hear? Yes. What do you guys think? Um, I'm not sure I totally agree. I think it's a, it's a pretty broad statement, so it's, it's hard to say, yeah, I, I agree with that. I do think that uh, um, I've certainly heard people say that, that Christians aren't the greatest workers sometimes and, and et cetera, et cetera, and maybe that we've got an ace in the hole which helps not propel us because we don't have that. Um, there's a security that comes from serving Christ. Um, but I hang around a, a group of Christians who are very ambitious, and so I don't know if that's different um, cultural sex within Christianity. There's a big, there's a big swath of those who say they follow Jesus in the world. So I don't think I can make a broad statement along those lines. And in my life, I, I don't think it would be true with the people I, that I hang out with that call themselves believers. I think it strikes me that it, I think, and this is where this is, uh, it's a bit of a personal thing. You've got to ask the question, am I living out of fear and comfort? Mm-hmm. Or am I, living, am I living faithfully? And that can look very different. It can mean that you go on a mission trip. It can mean that you actually just, you're faithful at where you're at, and that's where God has called you. So I think... Really, it comes down to more on a, on a personal basis. Can I be real honest with myself? And am I am I just doing what is comfortable, or am I doing what is faithful? And it it can look very different. Uh, settling down. I'll say this. I'm at a point where there's a sense of settling down. I got. I have kids. I have kind of a very domestic life. I, I feel like I'm following God in that. And just for me to say, well, I just need to get up and run around. That's not necessarily true. Um, so don't don't mistake always kind of. Shooting off on some adventure overseas is being is being faithful or being ambitious, um, but you just need to be honest with yourself. I can think of another angle to that kind of idea, which is I hear Christians who will say that must have been God's will because it was comfortable, or it was easy. He opened that door for me, so I knew that it was easy. 
Mm-hmm. I, I've just been, I just push back into that. I think God asks us to step into a lot of hard things. And I have been in this process over the last couple of months. I'm on my, my fourth time reading the book of Acts and in a different uh, version. And I just keep thinking, you know, there's a lot of flogging and shipwrecks there. <laughs> you know, a lot of disappointments <laughs> and arguments. Uh, it was not easy. It was actually um, painful. And yet you feel God's call through that. You don't, it wasn't like Paul goes, oh, well, it must be what God wanted here because I did not get in a shipwreck. He got in a shipwreck. It, it's using those moments. So I think sometimes Christians kind of only see God's call when it goes well for them. And I disagree with that. I think sometimes it's very hard. Other questions right here. Will you raise it? Sorry. Right here and then and then right over. Okay, so I can just right now see Dave Lutz sitting between one of the three of you saying, now's the time to join a small group. Join a small group, join a small group. So my question is, for those of us who are maybe not necessarily in that place of extreme apathy or of maybe borderline dangerous um, ambition, uh, but those who, those of us who maybe find ourselves walking along somebody, alongside somebody who is, what, what recommendation, what uh, feedback would you have for someone? Like, what, what do we do when we have a good friend or we have, have someone in our small group who is really apathetic or is pretty close to uh, uh, putting on Icarus wings? You know. I'll start off on that. I think, um, again, it's going to depend on the person. I think something that's huge is if they actually are in a small group. That's pretty significant. And to, that, to the extent that they've allowed some access in your, in, uh, into some access into their lives uh, by even maybe asking the question, if they're in a small group, I'm assuming that there's some kind of relationship there. Um, I think... In, in general, in between kind of apathy and extreme ambition, I think the the issue for us is, I mean, people have to come to that kind of stuff themselves, but I think we can ask good questions. I think we can pray. Um, and I think um, I, I think the, the issue is, can we be in a place in which they can begin to ask good questions? And we, maybe we could stoke that by starting to ask good questions, too. If they're, if they're complaining one way or the other, and say, you know, tell me what's, tell me what's going on. Um, and to lead them into a place. But I, otherwise, I just think you want to encourage them to, hey, be faithful and, and maybe even be sharing that of your own life. So, Yeah, and I think that's certainly the wise approach typically is, is to do it through questions and probe deeper and deeper through questions because it's less um, of a direct affront. I personally like the direct assault. Um, and I think, you know... <laughs> I really do. You know, I moved to Seattle seven years ago, and you guys dance around things way too much. You know, people from the Midwest just go right at it. And, uh, and so what I would say to this audience is have the courage to care about someone enough to tell them the truth, even if you're taking a bit of a risk, first thing. A lot of people I've seen over and over not take the risk, mm. you know, in, 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 the com- in, in tight communities, in Christian circles, and I'm, I'm in one. Um, so do that. Number two, I would hope that if you're going to take that risk, you're going to do it from a heart that cares and not just because you're checking the spiritual box, right? You know, um, that would be important to me, and I receive it a lot better when I think someone cares about me and loves me. But with that said, you know, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. 
and I would I would have the courage to speak to him. Um, I would much rather risk that side of it than to not say nothing at all. And I've learned that the painful way a couple times with friends that went off the deep end, literally. And I was watching it and didn't say anything hmm. because the right time he didn't come up, or maybe I just didn't care enough to bother to make the right time come up. And I've kind of resolved many years ago never to do that again. And hopefully that's when I'm living, but I'll find out when I get home. I think you have, I like that. I At the same time, I think you have to check your own ambition. Um, is your own ambition to uh, solve your friend's uh, thing or is to walk alongside? So I, I think while I really love that, I think it's important to remember kind of some emotion coaching cues, like that seems really important to you. Can you tell me more about it? Because the person can't come up with their own action plan until they've had that emotion acknowledged. So I think helping them um, speak into that sometimes is their own clarifying thing. It becomes their own work and their own aha, not just the aha that you're laying down upon them. So I think by saying, that seems really important to you, I'd like to hear more about that, shows your love and care. And then you say, I'd like to hear more how you see that playing out for yourself. And then, well, that's an interesting idea. Um, Here's where I feel caution around that. Is a place that comes in in a way that doesn't feel like the person has to defend? Because once we create a defensive posture with someone, then it sets up a roadblock. So I love being honest, but I also love strategy. Totally agree. Now, I would say, I mean, this is this is part of the reason why you do this stuff in community. Do you see how that we're, it, we get, you get stuff that's nuanced? And I would absolutely agree. Um, and you heard, you kind of heard, kind of uh, how, how we've sort of we've broadened things out. Where we, if you just kind of hear from one person, or if you're just in this yourself, you might just be getting one perspective and, and be missing it. And, and to the extent I agree, I, for people that I know that love me, I want, <laughs> back around here, I've actually asked people, "Will you take me head on?" Mm-hmm. And sometimes I actually get in trouble for taking people head on, but. I always try to do it out of it's, you know, it's too much laughter on that one, um, but you do it you do it out of love. So, anyways, yes, right here. So my question has to do with ambition, but more the prize and kind of what is accomplished through the ambition. And so, I was just wondering when you look back at your life, what um, stands out to you where you really felt fulfillment? If it was a particular experience or if it was a process, just an area that you grew in, you know, what, what stands out with regarding fulfillment, fulfillment now? So within the context of ambition, where have you sensed fulfillment? Go ahead. I needed the time here. Um, you know, the first thing that jumps to mind for me and is my community, um, my friends, my family, um, are hands down the thing I treasure the most and what's most valuable to me. Um, And so I guess that kind of cheats, skirts the question of ambition, but I am very ambitious about building community and and sewing into friendships, and so maybe that's why my heart's there. From a, 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 to take it into the work perspective, just for these, you punch the clock every day, I find the most fulfillment when I am managing a team and I can find the right spots for the right people to where they're really catching their groove. The simple analogy would be if they're playing a musical instrument, I figure out what piece they should be playing or what note they should be playing in what time frame, and that all starts to hum together across a large group of people or a large organization. And I love that um, because then we start to get something done, and that's fun for me. Mm. And secondly, when you can truly mentor people, 
um, it goes back to people, I guess, but when people come to me and say, I really want to learn and grow, and I get the privilege and opportunity to kind of help them in their journey um, and then see them prosper and grow is, is very fulfilling. I can identify with a couple of those. I, I think intuition and, and um, networking people is, is a joy. Uh, you just um, And, again, age adds to that because you know more people and you know have more networks, and then you just connect more, and it just gets very exciting and very fun, and that, that's a joyful thing. Um, in my work, in my, and as a parent of three um, adults, young adults, I, there's a great joy in that. So watching them launch and the work of, of being a part of that is, is incredibly joyful. In my work, w- talking to parents and kids, it's, it is so joyful, I, I could explode. It is so joy-filled, and part of it is the joy of... Um, the improvisational part of the work along with the so the creativity and the improvisational part being asked any question that's on people's minds around sex is keeps you on your toes. And then and then just the navigating through safe places and creating safety in that conversation. I I really it's a high. It's I don't know how else to describe it, but I honestly um, I, it is it, it is enormous joy, great gladness. I feel it every time I'm doing that work. That's great. Yeah. All right, I guess, does this work? Okay. Uh, maybe a two-part question. I guess the first part, I've been enjoying the series on Ambition, but at the same time, I'm kind of skeptic as well. So, uh, But I guess we don't really talk about, it seems like all ambition we've spoken about now has always been a spiritual ambition. So there is ambition outside of the spiritual realm, and is that just... I mean, if we're following after Christ, any any ambition we have then is that a spiritual ambition? Because there could be ambitions outside of that. So for someone who doesn't believe, is that ambition necessarily bad? But also, on the second part, you have, let's say, uh, you're, you you have like your... No, 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 no. Hang on a second. Um, yeah, you're leading your life, and uh, you think it's, uh, you know, you're blessed with these gifts and you're following after God and you think this is what God's calling you to but you, we've also spoken every night here how well we need to strive for this ambition or we need to reach out and serve Seattle or we need to become missionaries but at the same time you know you, you also say that not each one of us has necessarily that calling yet in our life or you know not everyone's there right now but it feels like a, how do you find that separation between just your life and living what God is calling you to and that missionary part and I realize that there's uh, no necessary right answer there. It's whatever God's going to call you to. But I don't know. It seems like a big push on saving Seattle, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Now we're getting to some fun questions. Um, I, you know, Paul said, I consider everything lost compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And if you remember the scriptures, He's talking about all the things he'd been, a Pharisee of Pharisees. And basically, he had checked the box of all these great things that took a ton of worldly ambition to do, and then he proceeded to throw them all away. And see, all that really matters is serving Jesus, and I totally agree with that. But that that verse and that, that mentality stumped me for many, many years. Um, I grew up as a PK, a pastor's kid, and my dad dropped out of the corporate world. He was a computer programmer way back when they still used punch cards and left it to kind of serve Jesus. 
Um, and so I struggled a long time with, okay, I've got all this. I want to serve Jesus, and I want it to be real. I'm a follower of Jesus. But I also love what I do. I love organizational leadership. I love executive leadership. I went and got an MBA because I totally love it. And not one day did I think, oh, my gosh, I wish I wouldn't have done this. And a ton of days I thought, man, I'm so glad I didn't go get an MDiv, you know, um, and go be a pastor because it's not me. So what I would say is I've come to a point where I think a bifurcation of who we are into there's this missional part of me that should serve Christ, and then there's this work part of me is wrong. I think that our whole lives should be an act of worship to God, and part of that for me is that my, my work is a ministry. And that's an easy thing to say because I'm trying, you can say I'm trying to candy coat this desire and ambition I have to be in the work world and be in a business world because I do, but it really isn't that for me. I think God has made me uniquely who I am, and I am fulfilling part of his purpose in this generation, which is the redemption of mankind the redemption of our relationship to him, the relationship to each other, and ultimately to work, because those three things got marred in the garden. So I w- that's one thing. I would, this is a deep question, so we'd have to go for beer later to finish, but um, IPA preferably. The, anyway, um, so I could go on on this for a long time, um, but I'll stop there. Anything? Anything you, you don't have anything yet? It's coming to my I, I don't need to answer that. I, I, you know, I, I think I would agree in Thomas. What, here's what I would push on on that, is that I think we do bifurcate our lives, uh, and, and maybe it's the language we use. And I think this is something, we, we have challenges on, on language. Uh, and I, I find that, even though I would desire that we would not bifurcate things into kind of our work lives and our spiritual lives. And I think we'll, when we begin to talk about, well, I've done, I've done my church time, like, Get, you know, leave, you know, get off me about that. I think that then we're then we're in trouble because then we we end up we can punch our clock or there there's this idea that we have to punch our clock and that you have to kind of put in a certain amount of time on you know saving Seattle, reaching out to Seattle. And I think we're supposed to bring those two things together. And I think that's a difficult concept for us uh, in America, especially. We bring those things together. What you do in your particular profession is important. Who and part of this is who you are. Whether you're in church or whether you're in the office matters. I mean, you, you just heard Thomas even talk about what are some of the things that bring him joy uh, are, the, are the bringing together of the, kind of the right pieces and the right people into the right place and to accomplish something big. Well, he's talking about making money at a bank. So there's nothing, and yet there's something redemptive in how he actually applies his skills, but also uh, applies his relationships. And we do that within, also within a community, a church, particular church community. The ongoing, our ongoing redemption of the world, and again, I could go off on this for a long time too, it is, has to do with what we do with our professional skills. Our professional, like, our professional skills can be used selfishly to enrich ourselves or to enrich, uh, or to enrich our country and our community. Sometimes that's, there's, a, there's, a gray, there's gray lines in there and what that looks like. Something like finance. Finance has cratered recently. Finance is not bad. Finance is something that we're called to steward and do well. It can bring unbelievable good. And microfinance is that easy thing. Unbelievable good when you give people just a little bit of access to money. Finance is not bad at all. Doesn't, but it doesn't mean that it can't go bad. Just like anything else. You could, you could, you could create something really well. You could engineer something really well. You could engineer something uh, pretty poorly. Engineering can bring great good to a community. Engineering done for selfish means could simply uh, kind of enrich a particular area or cause great harm if it's not done well. All that kind of stuff comes together in who we are as people. 
uh, Earl Palmer used to tell a story about if you're in an air, flying in an airplane and uh, you encounter a great deal of turbulence, it's not so helpful if the very well-trained pilot turns around and wants to give a sermon. You'd really rather that he or she were using the skills that they were trained for to be flying the airplane. And the fact that they are a Christian is uh, kind of frosting on the cake at that point, but not exactly the skill, right, that you're looking for. Yeah. So I, I think that's good because I, because I, I hear uh, and, and I think it's built up. There's, there is an expectation built up that missionaries are better than those of us who feel like we're called to work in an office building. And, and that is not the case, and we have to continue to work on that. Yeah, and I just want to go here for just a sec. I, I think there's totally a holy hierarchy in, in, in Christendom, which is there's the pat, there's the missionaries that, that give up their lives to go overseas, and then there's the pastors, and then there's the, the, the church lay people that kind of serve within the church, and then teachers, and then doctors, and somewhere down at the bottom is lawyers and, and business people, and maybe advertising executives. But uh, um, that's wrong. That's dead wrong. And I do want to do one thing really yeah. quickly. Um, when I go to work every day, yeah, I do think about making money. But on the underlying level, when I step back and think about it, I think about the fact that democratic capitalism has proven itself over and over and over again to be one of the, the Winston Churchill said it best, it's the work, worst system except for all the rest. And what that has enabled is a, a better standard of living for a lot of people, better health care, better ed- educational systems, more stability, less war, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. A thing that democratic capitalism needs is a banking system to support it so that contract law can be honored fairly. And we could go into this in a lot more detail, but the bottom line is when I go to the bank every day and make it hum and effectively and efficiently, that directly contributes to a lot of the things way above on the surface that really matter, I think, to God's heart um, for his people. Let me let me ask a question because there's a, a bit of, I think it follows really well what we just talked about. It has to do with for a lot of us, if we were to think about how do I engage my faith at the work workplace, that's often really difficult because sometimes I feel like I'm in a compromising position, or I just go, you know, what does it mean on, on a daily, hourly basis uh, in the workplace to love the Lord with all my heart, power, strength, mind? So part of that is compromise, and I think we had talked about this a little bit before. This this person said, what if I'm expected to comply with something that I feel compromised in doing? How do I respectfully and dip- diplomatically make my refusal to participate? Um, a couple questions. How do I do that? But then also, what's the role of, of conscience when we get into a, a work environment? In some ways, we could talk about this even outside of it being particularly Christian. So, Thomas, I'm interested maybe just to, just to hit part of that. For you, you've managed people. You've been in the corporate environment. What advice would you give us if we feel in a particular, in a particular area that I'm compromised around doing something? How, how do you go about that well? Um, well, let me start with conscience first and the role of conscience. It's huge. It's absolutely huge that you be a critical thinker, think for yourselves, and ultimately try to think according to the way you don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you do things like this to get your mind in the right spot because there's the world system and then there's the way God would like it to be, and they're not necessarily the same. And I'm not a theologian. I'm up here as a uh, fellow sojourner, but I know that. And so be a critical thinker. And if you're a critical thinker and you're in an organization, you're probably going to get into situations where you feel like you would have to compromise a little bit of who you are or what you are, specifically when you look through the lens of the faith that you have and the worldview you have as a follower of Jesus. If you get in that situation, let me say a couple things. First of all, margin is huge. And what I mean by that is people that are hard workers, 
that are faithful, that do their job every day, have a lot more margin or opportunity to, to ask for a favor and say, hey, I can't do this. I had a friend working at Amazon, and they were going to push aggressively with Playboy on the platform. He didn't really want to be part of that negotiation process, right, to push that magazine through the system. Same thing with a friend at Real Networks when they were trying to push porn. It wasn't something she was that interested in marketing. But both A players had the ability to say, I don't want to be part of this. When we meet with that group of people, when we negotiate, I'm going to step away. They, by the way, still stayed at their jobs, and I think probably, thankfully, they did. If you remember da- Daniel um, served in Babylon, I have, a heart, I, have, I have a hunch that Babylon wasn't exactly a godly place. My hunch is there was a whole lot of hedonism and ungodliness there, but God put Daniel right in the middle of it to make a difference. So first thing, margin. Um, have margin. Do a good job so that you can cash in a chip if you need to. Um, number two, I would say pick your battles. There are a lot of things if you wanted to get nitpicky um, that you could say this compromises who I am or what I am. But make darn sure that that's true and it's something that you want to go to bat for. And I don't say that to give you a way out if you need to have courage when courage is needed. I'm saying that because it can be easy to justify sometimes. Number three is what I always think when I have to do something like this is, oh, great king. And I heard this a long time ago, and I think it was my dad told me, remember how they went before the king, son. They went humbly and said, oh, great king, you know, I hope your reign is blessed. By the way, I can't do this or that or the other. And if you're going to do that, specifically you have to talk to a superior, do it with a humble attitude and respecting the fact that they've been put in a position of authority whether you like it or not. And you should treat them as such. And that will get you so much farther than someone who goes in with any kind of hint of self-righteousness or anything else. You know what? We're running, we're, we're slow, running out of time. So here's what, there's one more question, and I, I want to pitch this one to you, Julie. And it has to do with uh, humility. There's a question, you know, we, we talk about the church, I think, a lot about humility, be humble. And the question for this person was, can we be uh, too humble? So how would you respond to someone saying... What am I supposed to do with humility? Can I be too humble? Well, I do think that there are people who, perhaps out of their own fear or out of their um, uh, maybe just lack of experience, sometimes um, sometimes they don't want to step into an opportunity because they feel like that would make too much of themselves or draw too much attention to themselves or create a um, stress for others and so therefore they say they kind of throw out the humility uh, excuse but I do think that sometimes um, we have to step beyond that to say um, you know God asks us to do good works and he has created us uh, to do that work and so being um, uh, recognizing his part in our life while stepping forward courageously is part of our work I, I said when we were talking about this earlier, that sometimes women um, play that humble card uh, perhaps too much. Uh, they, um, they allow that um, step back. They step back too early instead of taking an opportunity to say, no, I, I belong in this conversation. I belong in the dialogue. I belong in the heat of the kitchen and the workplace and other places. And I and it is not out of humility that I'm stepping back, but I can use my humble voice in a powerful way in that hard place. 30 seconds, your take on humility. Well, when I, bo- I wrote the book, The Ten Humblest People in the World and How I Helped the Other Nine, <laughs> Chapter 3, no. um, 
the uh, I, I struggle I, I I struggle with with pride. Um, straight up, I'll be very vulnerable and say that. And I you know part of me thinks God's given me a lot of confidence and self assurance. And maybe it was the way I was raised or whatever. Part of me thinks it's just sin. And I think it's both those things. Mm-hmm. So when I answer this question, I will say that I consistently cry out to God to help me to be humble. And unfortunately, a lot of times He does. And unfortunately, I should say I'm being facetious. That that that's it's huge. You know, God's opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. This is the one I esteem who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. I try to hide those things in my heart to counteract however I was made um, because it's a struggle for me. So I'll leave it at that. Um, and I, I would simply say, I would tie, tie this into meekness. We've talked about uh, this in different contexts, but when Jesus says, uh, blessed are the meek, he's not saying blessed are the people who just, who just let everyone roll over them. But meekness, and I think with humility, has a sense that I am not the highest authority in my own life. I am under God's authority in my, my life. My, my, my well-being is ultimately in his hands. And so it might mean that I get run over, but I'm not going to spend my life making sure that I run over everybody around me to make sure that I'm always protected. But humility, we even talked this a little bit before, a sense of meekness and humility has to do with strength, and it's strength that is under control. Strength that doesn't, it doesn't operate out of fear. And there's a lot of people who operate out of fear, and they look like they are very strong or tough or whatever, but really they're just fearful. And so I feel like straight humility, strength, can you be, if humility means to you that I need to let everybody else say whatever they need to say or get their own way, then, then yeah, you can be too humble. If being, being humble means that I ultimately uh, leave things in God's hands, and if it means that I'm not always going to win, that's okay because I'm going to choose to follow God. I'm going to choose, to, I'm gonna choose the way of integrity. Uh, I'm going to choose to have the, the power, the gifts, the strength that God has given me. Those are not for my own sake, but those are for the sake of the kingdom and for those and for love of neighbor around me. So, the verse that I often say to myself in those moments where I'm struggling with my pride and humility is uh, Psalm 139: "You hem me in behind and before." I love that image. You hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. And that just puts that kind of uh, together for me. It's not me first. It's not me last. You have hemmed me in behind and before. And you have laid your hand upon me. That's, that's it for me.